0: Hello and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. Thanks so much for listening. I'm a coach and a hypnotherapist, and I'm the author of two books The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl, which is all about confidence. So, thanks for listening today. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. I got one of my good friends on the podcast, Dr. Emily Lines. She's a lecturer in environmental science at Queen Mary University in London. She studies trees a lot. (laughs) She's got a big interest in trees. And with all the things happening with the Amazon rainforest and how upset so many of us were about the fact that it was being cut down and burned... I really wanted to talk to her about her work and get her advice and insights about things that we can do when it comes to the planet, because in the UK, 85% of us are concerned about climate change, and that can really lead to anxiety for a lot of people. I've experienced my own moments of eco-anxiety, and I really wanted to have this conversation because I just think it's the most important topic of our lives, essentially. So Emily and I get into what we can do to make things better when it comes to the planet, how we can channel our anxiety into action to actually improve the world and make it a better place. We talk about why we shouldn't beat ourselves up because this is one of those topics where it could be so easy to obsess over things or really worry or beat ourselves up about, you know, buying something in plastic. And actually, she shares why that isn't the way to go about it and and why we shouldn't take on board so much responsibility but what we should do instead we talk about how to be a more ethical consumer and we also talk about the good news when it comes to the environment and the positive things that are happening in the world so it's not all bad news (laughs) listeners and there's just loads of inspiring practical things that we can all be doing in this episode so I want to let you know if you're not already that you can sign up to get my newsletter with the latest podcasts and news of events and courses that I run and also you can get a free anxiety busting toolkit over there you can head over to karmau.com you.com forward slash free enter your details there and I'll send all of those Freebies to you. So let's get into the interview with Dr. Emily Lines. This episode is sponsored by Chloris CBD Oil. Everyone in the anxiety world is talking about CBD oil, but if you don't know what it is, CBD is a non psychoactive compound found in cannabis and it's used as a food supplement with promising evidence that it actually helps to calm anxiety. One study found that it reduced anxiety during public speaking, and the link to this is in the show notes. And it's also believed that CBD oil could help manage pain, such as period pain, by reducing inflammation. I've been taking Chloris CBD for the past few months to help with period pain and PMS, and I think it really helps. I love that Chloris take great care to source the best quality CBD, only using the finest organically derived natural ingredients and they rigorously test their products for contaminants and most CBD brands don't do this. CBD isn't a miracle cure for anxiety, but it could be really useful as a food supplement to include in your routine and I love using it. Get 10% off Chloris CBD oil when you enter the code CALMAYOU at chloriscbd.com. That's dot com. Welcome, Dr. Emily Lyons. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Chloe. Thank you for inviting me. Can you tell us what it is that you do? And yeah, what do you do? What's sure. your job?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I am a lecturer in uh, environmental science at Queen Mary University of London. Um, and in particular, I'm interested in forests. I study how they function and what the impact of climate change will be on them. And I teach about all sorts of different environmental issues um, at the university
0: amazing. And Emily is also one of my best friends. And I really wanted to get her on the podcast because of all the conversations that her and I had had about things going on in the world and what we can do to make things better. Because I read a stat recently that 85% of people in the UK are concerned about climate change. And from lots of you guys that I speak to, people feel quite helpless, Are going into even eco-anxiety, having a lot of fear about the future and I really wanted to talk to you Emily about you know what is the situation that we're dealing with and how can we channel our anxiety into action because often we get ourselves into rumination and this is overthinking, worrying and feeling helpless and actually there's a lot we can do and educating ourselves is one of the first steps to, to doing that. And we can, yeah, channel channel our emotions into actually creating a positive change.
1: Sure. Well, first of all, being worried about climate change is not an unreasonable thing, right? It's a really, really big issue. It's the biggest issue facing society today. Um, And we need to halve our global CO2 emissions um, by the year 2030 in order to avoid really dangerous climate change to keep within the 1.5 degree warming um, that we set ourselves at the Paris Agreement. Um, So it is, it is justified to be worried about climate change and and we do not have a lot of time to act. So I think it's really fantastic we're having this conversation and that 85% of the country does care about climate change because we need people to care.
0: Yes, we need people to care. And yeah, there's almost a sense of... We were talking about this before we started recording. It, anxiety isn't... Well, you asked me, is anxiety worry without cause? And actually anxiety can be from lots of different sources in our lives often it is from things that are worrying like if we've been made redundant or we've suffered a bereavement or we're worried about the planet and it's this podcast is not going to say to you everything's going to be okay like a lot of my advice does (laughs) does go along the lines of everything's going to be okay you're going to be fine this isn't one of those situations it's one of those situations where we have to gather ourselves together and and educate ourselves and change the world essentially
1: yeah, um, and we need to harness the concern that we have. But there is some good news. I mean, particularly here in the UK, we have uh, falling emissions. We're about 40% below what we were in 1990 in terms of our greenhouse gas emissions. So the UK is doing is doing pretty well in terms of uh, its emissions targets. It's not doing as well as it could be. Um, but we are making changes. We're making positive changes. And there are positive stories around the world. Um, but globally, we're still, we've still got increasing emissions, actually. So more, much more action is needed. So I wanted to ask you about trees,
0: yeah. because you and I have had lots of conversations about trees. Trees are my favourite. Many a woodland walk (laughs) where you have told me interesting facts about trees, and this is your jam, basically. Yeah,
1: I love trees. Why
0: are trees so important?
1: (laughs) Well, um... I mean, forest ecosystems are incredibly important in terms of climate change. Um, They store as much carbon as is in the atmosphere um, and plants on Earth absorb uh, absorb about a third of what we're emitting out into the atmosphere. So they're doing this amazing job in terms of dampening the impact of our emissions uh, in terms of climate change. And they also are home to about um, two-thirds of the world's biodiversity. So they're incredibly important when we think about extinction Um, and they're critical. So they're critical for both climate change and for biodiversity loss and of course we're in the midst of this Six mass extinction event, um, where we have species going extinct at rates of sort of hundreds to thousands of times the rate that they would be without human activity. Um, so forests, forest ecosystems, and preserving forest ecosystems is a sort of twin a, a twin approach to uh, to tackling these problems. And actually, it's one of the cheapest ways of tackling climate change is to just stop deforesting.
0: And of course, probably everyone listening saw the things that were all over the news and social media recently about the Amazon yeah. rainforest mm-hmm. being on fire, which is still happening guys, just because people aren't putting on Instagram, that is still going on um, and that is an example of deforestation. I yeah, suppose.
1: so um, in fact there was a report that came out just this morning um, that found that uh, we're losing about the size of the UK in, glo- in terms of global forests every single year. Uh, so deforestation is, is really high and the rate of loss had been going down. So um, Brazil had had a government that was quite um, environmentally conscious that was was working to reduce the rates of deforestation in the Amazon, um, but in the last few years uh, the rate of loss has gone up. It's gone up in the Amazon. It's going up in Africa and in Southeast Asia as well. And the primary drivers are unfortunately pressures from agribusiness, uh, so from agriculture for pasture, for um, t- for beef farming, for growing um, soybeans, for feeding cattle, and also for things like palm oil and mining. Um, so deforestation is increasing uh, and. We have this sort of situation where um, things like the Amazon are hugely important, not only for storing carbon and absorbing carbon, but also for regulating the global climate system. And their losses just affects the whole world. It affects everybody in the world. And we have a small number of people getting really rich um, from deforestation, you know, from eating lots of beef, from uh, palm oil um, trade uh, and but we have a large number of people, you know, the whole world is, is being uh, detrimentally affected by it. So I think people should be angry about this situation because something like the Amazon rainforest or uh, the rainforests in sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia, these are, are globally important uh, ecosystems that are just not being protected. Sorry, you look really worried. No, <laughs> I'm just worried about the well, I Well, I am worried, to be honest. If there's one thing mm. that will
0: make me worry, it's this. And I was really, like a lot of people, very kind of, upset and angry about what was happening yeah and in a way though just glad that people were talking about it more yeah. suddenly because obviously it's been happening for a for long sure. time yes and yeah. not in the newspapers not people not talking about it not really seeming to kind of care about this
1: absolutely and this is something that i have found so interesting over the past few months Um, a year or so since the rise of things like Extinction Rebellion and since the rise in profile of of Greta Thunberg is more and more people want to talk to me about my job and five years ago uh, you know if I was out at a party nobody wanted to talk about the environment it's boring it's like crusty hippies in the corner and now people want to talk to me about it and I find that really really inspiring actually and and the very fact that I'm here talking to you about it is just an indicator of just how much it's risen in terms of global awareness uh, people caring and understanding much more about the importance of the environment.
0: Yeah, if there's one if there's one good thing about all the horrible things happening <laughs> is that it is kind of waking us up. It is reminding us that we are a part of nature and if we mm. fuck over nature then
1: she's going <laughs> to fuck us up basically <laughs> she's going to fuck us up and actually you know when you when you think in sort of hundreds of thousands to millions of years the earth is going to be fine you know climate change is something that threatens us as a species it threatens our survival and yes we're driving a large number of other species to extinction and we can have a whole moral argument about whether or not we have any right to do that and some people think that you know we can use the earth for whatever we want and other people think that You know, we should be preserving species. But ultimately, we should be acting in our own self-interest to protect the Earth. Um, Climate change is going to make parts of the Earth uninhabitable. It's going to threaten our food security. It's going to create... water shortages it's going to create civil wars mass migration it's going to make it much more difficult to raise people out of poverty we are using up resources that are finite at rates um, much much faster uh, than is sustainable so we should care about changing the way we live for our own survival you know in a few million years when humans have died off the planet will be fine there will be all sorts of weird and wonderful new creatures that have evolved on it um, which i find really comforting but we need to protect ourselves as a species and this is why we need Need action,
0: totally, totally. There's so many places that we could go next. Can we go back to trees? Sure,
1: <laughs> I love. Trees. I like trees too. What can we do about the trees? Okay, so uh, first of all, you know, understanding why they're so important, understanding that actually it's the standing forests that are important, and and afforestation, planting new trees, it can help, and it can particularly help um, with issues like um soil erosion which we're really suffering from in some parts of the world but holding the carbon that exists in forest ecosystems it's not all in the trees a lot of it is in the soil probably more of it is in the soil than is in the standing trees and so really we want to keep those ecosystems intact so if you're looking at things like carbon offsetting for example if you're flying across the atlantic and you're worried about Your impact, you want to carbon offset? Then you can look at schemes that are preserving, that are buying up um, parts of the the world's tropical rainforests, which are the most important in terms of carbon and biodiversity, and preserving them rather than, for example, um, schemes that might be planting new plantations that might uh, have little, you know, in the way of biodiversity value, or might even release carbon because soil itself holds a lot of carbon. If you plant on top of it, sometimes you can release that carbon into the atmosphere. So. Preserving the forests we have, valuing them properly—you know, understanding that there is a there's a, a dollar value to a standing forest in terms of its role in preventing dangerous climate change, um, in terms of its role in modulating our climate system and providing things like um, water security or prevention of soil erosion—valuing our natural resources properly. Um, and and if that needs to be a monetary value then that's that's what needs to happen Um, and and when we take action um, to try to do better you know things like carbon offsetting trying to have a real holistic understanding of of our choices Um, and then you know there are actions other actions we can take to um, reduce sort of pressure on uh, on forests through understanding what kind of products we might be benefiting from deforestation. So things like palm oil, um, meat products, uh, they can come from um, deforested areas, around 40% of products from deforested areas are in the international trade circuit, right? So they're not all deforestation in the Amazon to feed beef, it doesn't all go to Brazil, it becomes part of global trade. So understanding if we're buying things that are uh, making that worse, um, but also putting pressure on governments and companies. You know, if you go to, if you find that you're, you're using a project, that product has palm oil in it and you want to keep using that product because you like it, then pressurise that company. They're responsive to consumer action. Um, and ultimately, when we think about an issue as big as tropical deforestation, and, and this is really true for so many issues that we might talk about today, what we can do as individuals is actually quite small, our individual choices have relatively small impact it's our collective behavior that makes a really big difference so we need to take our individual anger and our individual concern and our energy and channel it into forums that push for behavioral change and societal change and structural change uh, rather than really beating ourselves up about taking a flight for example
0: okay okay that's quite an important point i think because it's easy I mean you can go either way you can either go I can't make a change at all so fuck it I'm just gonna do what I want or you can go the other way of I'm gonna beat myself up about everything I'm gonna Mm. deprive myself and actually it's about trying to channel our individual power into some into something bigger than ourselves
1: I think it really is you know I think it's really important that people understand that climate change is not you, your individual fault right it's not your personal responsibility to fix climate change we live in a society where it is incredibly difficult to live a low emission lifestyle the way that our you know taxation system is set up so we air fuel is not taxed for example makes flying really cheap um and trains are more expensive and and are not properly invested in we don't have high speed network in this country so they're slower the system we live in essentially perpetuates our high emission lifestyle and what we need is structural change we need pressure on governments we need governments and our politicians and our mps to understand that we care about these things and that we want them to make the decisions that will enable us to live uh, a lower carbon lifestyle in order to avert dangerous climate change
0: so when you're talking about kind of creating that change at a higher mm. level, is
1: that about getting political, you know, I choosing? Think it absolutely
0: is. How, specifically, what
1: can we do? I mean, for me, I said. think it really is getting political. It's recognising that you live in the society that makes it really difficult for you to live a low carbon life. Um, we all do. Uh, it's not our individual fault that, you know, can't companies are getting really rich from climate change there's uh, something like 100 companies globally are responsible for 70% of all of our human uh, greenhouse gas emissions that makes me like actually want to like vomit yeah I it's so disgusting you that. should be angry about it and but also you should realise that it isn't you And it isn't your Ryanair flight. We all need to make behavioural changes, right? We all need to recognise that very cheap uh, air travel is unsustainable. But uh, the changes need to come, I think, at the the societal level. They need to come from politicians. And that's why it's so important to vote, to make sure you're registered to vote, to Find out which of your candidates are um, pro-climate change mitigating policies, which ones are fighting it, which ones care about it. Emailing your MP, you know, they are your representative in Parliament. So if you want things to change, you go to the local person. They have to they have to listen to you, right? So find your local pressure groups. Raise the profile of the issue um, because we can't... N- for all the, the stress and the worry, and it's certainly, you know, it's a big worry for me. Obviously, I work in this field. For all my individual worry, actually, it's, it's structural change and system change that will help us to avert dangerous climate change.
0: OK, I, I've written to my MP um, a few times recently and tweeted her a few times. She's going to get sick of me soon, but I'm going <laughs> to carry on. I'm going to carry on. What about Food. Mm. Um, because obviously food must have a massive impact on the planet and it's one of those things that we do actually have control over to a
1: certain extent, you know, the choices that we make as
0: individuals. Absolutely,
1: yeah, and and there's a carbon amount embedded in all of our food choices. So food is, uh, our food system has really big global environmental impact. Um, Food accounts for around a quarter of all of our emissions globally. Um, And it also uses up about 70% of all freshwater resources. So when we talk about pressure on freshwater resources, it's in agriculture really we're thinking about. Um, And when we think about the impact on the natural world, um, agriculture and and our food system occupies about 40% of the land surface. So it's taking up a huge amount of space as well. So because of population growth, and we haven't talked about population growth, but the population is projected to increase to um, 10 uh, billion by 2050, which is not a very long time, we are looking at a situation where we need to feed people, right? We might need 60% more food by 2050. Uh, That's going to double food emissions. And essentially, uh, that means that we need to change the way that we're eating in order to stay under these sort of emissions targets. So farmed animals in particular are the problem here. They take up a huge amount of space. Um, For example, 80% of farmland is given over to pasture or to grow um, feed for farmed animals, but they only produce about 18% of our calories. So there's a real sort of inefficiency in terms of how we're producing the food that we need to eat. Um, and cows are unfortunately the biggest emitters of this. So uh, eating beef um, or choosing to eat less beef is one of the biggest changes that you can make in moving towards a plant-based diet. And I read somewhere um, that if cows were a country, they'd be the world's third biggest emitter of uh, greenhouse gas emissions, which is crazy, oh right? Oh, my God. Yeah, so the, the size of the problem is is really huge. And it does mean that individual choices can make a difference um, in terms of... Uh, reducing our emissions, reducing pressure on deforestation,
0: and you know, no one's saying you have to like go vegan or anything like that. But it's just about maybe making some small changes. All of us probably do need to make some changes about. I don't want to buy blueberries that have been grown in New Zealand and, and yeah. flown across the world in a refrigerated plane. For, for sure,
1: absolutely. I mean, going vegan or going towards being vegan is actually one of the. The most the most effective ways that we've done on a global level that we could reduce emissions, um, and there are some studies that suggest that we basically need to go towards an almost entirely plant based diet in order to avoid dangerous greenhouse gas emissions if we assume that the population will increase at the rate um, that we think it will. And being plant-based uh, in your diet is an incredibly effective way of reducing your emissions. It's like four times more effective than recycling, for example. So it's, it's really a good choice that you can make. Um, and like you say, maybe going fully vegan is not uh, it, too much for some people or it, it seems like too big of a change. But going plant-based uh, and trying to reduce your, your meat in, uh, intake quite substantially will help. Um, But you're completely right. Buying blueberries from New Zealand is kind of nuts. And transport (laughs) is one of our big, uh, one of the big uh, generators of greenhouse gas emissions as well. So if you're, you know, it's kind of depressing in February in the UK, looking in the produce aisle, trying to find something nice. But if your blueberries have come from New New Zealand or your asparagus has come from Chile, you really have to think about whether those carbon emissions of of that that journey are really going to be worthwhile. And if there might be some better choices that you can make.
0: Yeah, I think we do need to think about those things. I was in a cafe recently and I ordered a kombucha because I don't drink anymore. (laughs) Kombucha seems like the nearest thing to like a fun adult drink. But it had come from New Zealand and I was in England. Obviously, that's come on a ship or something, probably not on a plane. But still,
1: like they make kombuchas in Hackney. (laughs) Yeah, right. So, I mean, you can talk to that cafe. Yeah. You know, yeah. companies are, are driven by what... They'll sell what consumers want to buy. So if they put up um, New Zealand... I'm, I'm not blaming you personally, right? If they put up <laughs> New Zealand kombucha and people keep buying New Zealand kombucha, they'll keep buying it. They'll keep shipping it in because the cost of the carbon is not included in the cost of shipping it in, right? That, that maritime journey which has all of these uh, carbon emissions associated to it and <laughs> all that sort of thing. It's very complicated. <laughs> yeah, so if you, if you can go to the company that is selling you that New Zealand kombucha and ask them to please sell you a, a Hackney kombucha, then they might make that change. And actually consumer pressure has been a driver of all sorts of changes in the UK. Uh, and we know that it works if done on scale. Please talk to them about it.
0: Okay, okay, I will, I will. <laughs> um, okay, so do we should we talk about food a bit more? One thing that I've been doing recently is going to the market on a Sunday to buy vegetables there, mm-hmm. which is definitely cheaper than going to Sainsbury's. And the food is not organic, but it's without pesticides, mm-hmm. so they can sell it a bit cheaper because they haven't had to go through the rigmarole of yeah. being certified as organic, but it hasn't used pesticides, which is probably better for the soil i imagine
1: yeah i mean pollution is one of the biggest drivers of biodiversity loss
0: yeah um, and obviously if it's a, like a local market it's all season, seasonal yeah seasonal <laughs> things so it hasn't been
1: like transported across the world right i mean and and uh, i mean probably you walk to your local market and we're living in a city it's kind of easy to take those low carbon journeys but the journeys that we're taking are not only just our journeys it's the journeys of the things that we're buying so if you're buying something that has come from the local area it's a lower carbon food than something's been shipped from Europe or from further afield so it's a really good decision to make and I also think this is a good time to bring up what's what can be an issue in when we're talking about particularly things like food and travel choices so sometimes making the low carbon choice is much more expensive yeah Um, and there's a real big inequality issue here And again all of this comes back to us living in a system where it's difficult to make good choices um, because they can be more expensive you know organic food can be more expensive than non-organic food Um, maybe you have to live near a nice trendy east london market in order to access these kinds of foods and so really it can be you you can get into a sort of uh, an inequality in that people who are on lower incomes whose incomes are more stretched or under more pressure may not be able to afford to make low carbon choices in their lifestyle and that's incredibly unfair and that's a fault of the system right of the of society of the way that we are are incentivizing people to live good lives
0: yeah i think that's such an important point and yeah just wanting people to not beat themselves up about Absolutely, that yeah. definitely and i was having this conversation on instagram with someone about um i think it was like recycled loo roll or something because mm-hmm. i remember emily this is one of the things I think a few years ago and I was like, what can I do about the planet? And you were like, why are you not having recycled loo roll? Like, don't cut down trees to wipe your ass, obviously. Um, So that's one of the changes I made a few years ago and we were just saying how obviously it's more expensive to buy recycled loo roll in a packet that isn't, I know it comes in like a biodegradable plastic thing, Mm. but it's like
1: twice as expensive. Yeah, it's not accessible to everyone. And that's because the cost of that unrecycled one doesn't reflect the true environmental costs of producing it right um or and also the cost of the recycled loo roll doesn't reflect the the savings the the carbon savings we're making um and there are some sort of pushes in you know in in the eu and other places to essentially make industry cost in carbon and cost in environmental costs so paying for the detriment to the environment or paying for the carbon that they emit but these systems are not you know really operational and they the implementation has been really difficult to make these things the price that we pay really reflect the cost of the production and that's a really good example it's something where um the cheap option is bad for the environment but not everybody has the luxury of being able to choose to act in a way that's good for the environment i mean i find it even uh if i mean this is it's a very privileged example, but I try and eat organic because I'm worried about pollution in terms of pesticides and fertilizers into our our soil systems and into our freshwater systems. But when I go to the supermarket, the loose stuff is the non-organic stuff, and I have to buy organic wrapped in plastic. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to do good on one hand. And then I'm buying plastic in the other and, you know, you're just sort of stuck in this catch-22 situation, which is why we need pressure, why we need system change, why we need structural change and why I refuse to beat my individual self up about it. And you shouldn't either, that you're being faced with these two bad choices and that the government is not giving us, uh, you know, incentivizing us to live in ways that are better.
0: This episode is made possible by Dorset Cereals. Dorset Cereals believe that pleasure comes from the simple things in life and that moments need to be savoured, especially since life is so busy. And I totally agree. This all begins at breakfast time. So instead of rushing through breakfast or skipping it altogether, why not slow down and enjoy every moment? Enjoy a breakfast on the slow and you'll be taking the first steps to a better day. All their delicious mueslis are vegan and high fiber, and the ultimate muesli range doesn't contain any added sugar. I personally love their luscious berry and cherry muesli, well worth getting up a bit earlier to have time to savour. So now there are even more reasons to enjoy a calm moment at breakfast with Dorset Cereals. Take a look at dorsetsereals.co.uk to explore the range and discover how to be a little more Dorset. Make it cheaper, make it the cheaper option for us to act in environmentally friendly ways. Absolutely. And
1: don't forget that governments are made up of individual people. So you could always stand for government yourself. You know, why not? You know, (laughs) if you think about if you're involved with a local group, why not think about running for council? Can you stand for government? I would vote for you. Thank you.
0: (laughs) What else should we talk about? What about one thing I wanted to talk to you about was just having conversations with people about this sort of thing, because I found myself having a lot of conversations with people. I think we're having more conversations about these topics. because It's more and more front of mind. Is that a way that we can affect positive change? I
1: think think for sure, you know, and, and particularly if you're making individual choices that can help. Uh, the environment if you're trying to consume less uh, which is one of the best things you can do just buy less stuff repair the stuff you have reuse it recycling it living car free taking fewer air, air miles eating a plant-based diet people are going to start to notice changes in your behavior so being open about those and talking to people about why you're making those changes is a really positive thing to do and it's to do with shifting the conversation shifting um, what's seen as normal and the more people that act in these ways the more normal it will it will be perceived and then we get to shift where the argument is and shift the, the dialogue around these issues. I think talking openly about your concerns to other people is really important. Um, and if you want to advocate, if you want to change people's minds and you have to be really careful about how you're doing it because you can come across as quite sort of uh, you know, an environmental Mathedic. basher <laughs> Yeah. You can come across hard line and really I think, you know, when you drum down into talking to people a lot of people care about the natural environment people have got something they'll, ha- they'll have some interest that you can that you can hook on to you know so if you listen to somebody you talk to them about how you're feeling uh finding out what they care about is really important being curious uh, being open-minded to engaging with them um, and find out why somebody feels the way they do if they think differently to you find out what the motivations are and sometimes there can be things like economic and and Blaming somebody, getting angry with someone for making a choice that you don't think is the right one is really missing the big picture. So I think absolutely talk to people about your concerns. You can make a really big difference. You can influence people. You can do things like... Um You know, talking to your office, seeing if you can get rid of the plastic cups by the water cooler, seeing if you can switch your electricity providers to to a renewable energy provider, seeing if you can implement recycling. There's so much that we can do um, by interacting with the people around us, by making it a positive thing, by, by understanding and making it a dialogue.
0: I think, yeah, I think when it comes to having conversations about things, it can be easy. I think when someone's really passionate about something... We can, we can cross the line from passion into, like, judging other people. Yep. And we really don't want to do that because someone pointed out, made this point on Facebook recently, like, you can have a go at someone for driving a 4x4 or whatever it is people judge people about. But actually, if you have, you know, we've all got smartphones that yep. contain rare earth minerals that have been mined by children. So none Quite of possibly. us, none of us, apart from you, Emily, actually, you actually have <laughs> the one ethical phone. <laughs> but I've got an iPhone. And so we don't really have a leg to stand on when it comes to judging other people and their choices Mm -hmm. I think and this is one of these
1: things where making it about the individual is so destructive yeah you know making it about ourselves or them is such a destructive thing to do and if somebody is driving a four by four okay maybe that maybe they do but maybe they care about um I don't know plastic pollution maybe they care about the quality of the river uh in their area maybe they care about you know the air pollution for their children And maybe you can talk about those things and you can leave the car to one side.
0: Yeah, totally, totally with you.
1: We're not short of topics to talk about here. Yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, One topic which you and I have had conversations about before and it's kind of, it's basically quite a taboo thing to to sort of talk about and that's population. Yeah. Um, I guess because... It could, I don't know, maybe people interpret it as being shaming if they choose to have a lot of children or they have a lot of children already. But this is something that I think David Attenborough has a campaign around. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I think when we think about environmental issues, it's really important to understand the context, which is the population growth, the very, very substantial population growth. So in 1900, there were one and a half billion people on the earth. In 1960, there were three billion people. There are now about seven and a half billion people. Wow. And by 2050, there are going to be 10 billion people. So it's 150 years from 1.5 billion to 10 billion. And all of those people consume. So you're just multiplying consumption up. And all environmental problems are, become harder and harder and potentially impossible to solve with more and more people. If we don't change how we behave you know we've got one planet one set of resources and there are so many more of us and the rate of increase so this is a really modern problem that we're facing environmental issues are a modern problem because of the number of people on the earth and that's really what's influencing the urgency of it and so when we think about population we can't avoid it as a question but it is it is difficult it's difficult to have this conversation with some people um, particularly if there are sort of cultural reasons, or people, um, you know, view the number of children you can have as a very personal choice. Um, but a study came out very recently that said having uh, one fewer child was the biggest single contributor to reducing your overall emissions that you can make in your lifetime. Um, and they, the the four top ones were having one fewer child. The other three were living car free, avoiding flights, and eating a plant based diet. And if you add up those three, uh, it's still Um, 12 times less than having one fewer child so it's 12 times more effective to have one fewer child than it is to live your life car free to avoid flights uh, and to eat a plant-based diet and we can't avoid this as a a topic of conversation and I'm absolutely not saying people don't have children but you need to understand you know if you're trying to live more consciously if you're trying to understand the global picture of climate change then you have to look at population and you're right David Attenborough fronts a uh, or campaigns for a group called population matters they have a lot of really um unbiased information on their website and if you're interested in this i really encourage people to go and look at it um because this is this is in many places a taboo subject um not least for cultural issues um and challenging those sort of beliefs and social norms around discussing the size of of, of families is i think has to be part of, of fighting climate change absolutely
0: yeah and i've yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about having children in the near future. And it's definitely been on my mind of, mm. you know, not wanting to make matters worse. But obviously, we still need children. No one's saying yeah. don't have children. <laughs> we need them for the economy, if nothing else. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> He's going to look after us when mm. we're old. Um,
1: yes. Um, but yeah, so thank you for talking about that. No, and, yeah, and I think, I think that there are some really positive things as well around this conversation. Um, so one of the one of the biggest uh, influences of how many children a woman has is how well-educated she, ha- she is and how much she has access um, to contraception and, and modern family planning. Um, and population growth is going to be highest in places like sub-Saharan Africa, in low-income countries, and those are the ones that are likely to suffer most in climate change. So, you know, if you are looking for places to give your money, then programmes that keep women in schools longer, that uh, promote modern family planning that help uh, women have access to contraception so that they can control their own futures, uh, all of these things will not only improve their situation, will reduce poverty, will give them more power over their lives, They also have positive impacts in terms of the environment.
0: Okay, lovely to have some action points Absolutely. to take for that one. <laughs>
1: Thank you for that. Okay, so I wanted to go back to one of the things you would
0: mentioned before about... Um, biodiversity loss and the extinction of different species mm. because I mean could you say I mean I'm just playing devil's advocate cause I do know the answer <laughs> could you say oh does it really matter if like a load of like rodents in the Amazon die off or you know pandas were nice but it doesn't really matter if they <laughs> pandas were nice I know. Um, <laughs> you know it doesn't really affect us does it does it really matter like
1: just playing devil's advocate well, okay, yeah, no, that's fair enough. I mean, pandas are one of the most highly invested in species in terms of conservation. It's amounts, huge amount. You know, millions and millions of dollars going into preserving them. Species are becoming extinct at these very, very high rates. Um, we're in what we call the sixth mass extinction. So the previous five were... The last one was when dinosaurs were wiped out, for example. So that's the kind oh, of right. scale of change that we're looking at. So species do naturally go extinct, but the numbers... They're going extinct at the moment. One in eight non-microbial life forms is at risk of extinction. And yes, it matters. So the reason that it matters is that we uh, rely on the functioning of ecosystems. Well, the reason it matters for us, right? And from a selfish perspective, the reason it matters for humans is that we rely on functioning ecosystems for our soils that grow our crops. We rely on uh, pollinators to pollinate our crops. We rely on um, functioning freshwater ecosystems uh, for water for our food. We rely on forests to um, maintain our climate, to um, prevent soil erosion. We rely on aspects of the natural world in in every element of our lives. And if it isn't functioning because we've removed species from it um, and we have degraded ecosystems, then ultimately it affects us, right? And we get things like more flooding. We get soil erosion. We get more droughts. We get unproductive farmland. um, uh, And we risk our, our survival locally uh, in different parts of the world that are being more seriously affected or or even on a global scale when we think about something like climate change. And the issues are intertwined um, because one of the drivers of biodiversity loss, particularly into the future, is likely to be climate change. So basically,
0: we're all connected more than we realise. And yeah. if other species are getting impacted, that impacts us. If the trees are getting cut down, that impacts us. It's something that we've kind of forgotten, I think, as modern humans yeah. that we are part of nature and if nature's suffering then we suffer as well i mean
1: and- w- the things that we eat are species right we eat rice and we eat corn and we eat wheat and and uh, you know we tend to have very large amounts of, of what we eat coming from a very small number of species and ones that have been highly bred and domesticated and 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 um, tamed for our own use and and what if some new pathogen comes along and wipes those out if we've lost other biodiversity maybe we can't fight that pathogen and maybe we don't have anything alternative lined up to feed us so it's, it's hugely important and, and we do have to understand our reliance on the natural world and its interconnectedness with our own lives and our quality of life
0: other things that we can do then about the species getting extinct i mean i think we've talked about a lot of things but as a
1: yeah other so specifically? i think it's really important to understand what's driving this extinction um and and the biggest driver really is um our, us taking the land right so we take huge amounts of the land surface which isn't the space for wildlife uh, and we appropriate it for our own uses um and so uh using land for agriculture and using it inefficiently by doing things like um, like raising beef uh, and raising um, feed for animals is essentially driving biodiversity loss. And that's been historically the biggest driver. I read this crazy statistic about the amount of livestock that we have on Earth that could, might put this into perspective. Um, so 10,000 years ago, when humans were sort of roaming the Earth, if you added up the weight of all land mammals, 99% of that would be wild animals, and 1% would be humans. And now, two-thirds of the total weight of all land mammals is livestock, and about a third of it is humans, and 1% of it is, is wild animals. So the change that we have made in 10,000 years, which is pretty short, you know, when we think about the lifespan of the Earth and even the lifespan of our species, the change that we've made is massive. And so when we understand what we have done and what's driving this loss of these species by taking the land, taking the habitat, degrading their ecosystems through things like pollution, through um, carrying diseases around the world, you know, things like Dutch elm disease that killed off our elm trees in the 1970s, we can, we can take action because we know what might cause future biodiversity loss. So basically, let's
0: leave the wild as it is. Let's leave the Amazon Protect the Amazon as much as possible, protect the forests.
1: Yeah, protecting our existing ecosystems and understanding um, what it is that we're doing that's degrading them. And I think this again comes back, and I keep saying this, but coming back to to structural changes. Because if we do something like, for example, um, buy a lot of new clothes and we buy a lot of fast fashion, then that fast fashion is really cheap to us, but that's because it doesn't have... Well, I mean, not only in many places people making it not being paid properly, but it also uh, doesn't have included in that price the cost to the environment, and the cost to the environment is things like us using up the freshwater ecosystems, like dumping loads of pesticides on cotton crops, um, or the impact of throwing away that fast fashion—you know, the methane that it produces in landfill, or the microplastics that come when we wash uh, polyester. So, if we're thinking about what we can do, we think we need to think about what the actual cost of our choices are, not just the monetary cost, but the environmental costs as well. And we need to demand that our our elected officials do better in terms of incentivizing us and allowing us and helping us to make better choices.
0: Yeah, and one of the things that I've been trying to focus on more recently, and I'm saying this as someone who previously has had like quite an addiction to shopping. like literally every few days, an Amazon parcel would arrive at my door <laughs> and I've re- I've stopped buying stuff from Amazon now because they don't pay, a, they're not paid a single pound of tax in the recent tax year. Not a single pound in the UK. And also because I was just thinking about everything that I am buying comes from the earth and has to go back somewhere at the end and where it's probably going to go is into landfill or something. So I'm just basically trying to buy less stuff and so yeah I've been trying to educate myself a bit more about ethical consumerism and um, obviously aware that there's only so much we can do as individuals but what yep. are some of the things you think we can do when it comes to
1: well I mean I that? think you're doing exactly the right thing trying to understand where your uh, new products are coming from what is going to happen to them at the end of their useful life to you I think these are really important starts and um, understanding you know making good choices we we can't always not buy anything sometimes we have to buy a new jumper or it's cold outside we need a new coat um buying less buying better um so buying things that are going to last longer um and i i think it's really difficult because we we have this sort of this fashion industry that pushes us to buy a lot so i read somewhere that uh, zara brings out 24 new collections each year Oh, wow. which is two a month which is insane nobody needs a change of wardrobe twice a month but but we're being faced with that it's being pushed on us and and we just you know that's the advertising is pushing us towards buying clothes you know lots of garments are only worn seven or eight times nowadays before they're thrown away and it's just not a good use of 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 resources so buying less buying better things that you're going to like for longer and if you do want to keep changing your wardrobe which lots of us do right uh you know fashion is really important about showing our identity and looking at things like buying secondhand um buying um Sorry, using uh, some of these new um, services where you can rent clothes instead of buying them. So fashion, thinking about fashion less as a product you buy and more as a service that you rent. Um, So allowing you to update your wardrobe regularly, particularly for things like low use. If you're buying a new dress for a wedding and you're going to wear it twice, well, maybe it's cheaper to rent it anyway. You get something nicer, you send it back and, and, and it's reused again and again repairing things that we have. You know, there's lots of really good tailors out there who will sew up the hole in your coat or, or put a button back on or you can even learn to do it yourself. It's not too hard. And and all of these things redu- will reduce the amount of, of resources that are being used by your, your fashion choices.
0: I always wear out that little bit in between my legs and a pair of jeans. Yeah, where, like, right? my legs <laughs> together. And I I buy, yeah, jeans. I've only got like two pairs of jeans but I try and buy like slightly more expensive ones and literally have them for like five years. Right. And then keep getting that little patch patched up where I've rubbed it away with my I mean, eyes. I think
1: it's interesting when I look through my own wardrobe, there are brands in there that you wouldn't think would last a really long time. But I've had that item of clothing for 10 years and I wear it all the time. And, and then there are things that you maybe spend more money on that don't last as long. It's not always that the more expensive thing is the better. And I think sometimes you can you can look in your own wardrobe and find the jeans that haven't worn through and think, well, next time I need to buy a new pair of jeans, I'm going to buy from that brand. So know it's better.
0: Yeah, that's such good advice. I like that idea of renting clothes as well. I've never done that, but that does make so much sense for a wedding Mm because I've got dresses that I've worn once at a wedding and I'm probably not going to wear again. Okay,
1: but then, I mean, even if you wanted to maybe recoup some of the value of that, you could sell that dress on, you could donate it, you know, you could prevent somebody else having to buy something new by keeping the cycle going, having clothes, having it be more standard that clothes are owned by more than one person or used by more than one person. Um, and a lot of this is really just about understanding and valuing the embedded energy and, and, and the true cost of, of what's in what we buy.
0: And we're recording this in September, which is hashtag secondhand September, if anyone's seen that, <laughs> The Oxfam Oxfam, are pushing this campaign to encourage us to to go to secondhand stores and to make it normalised. Because there's Absolutely. part of us that probably thinks, oh, I don't want something like
1: secondhand, but actually it's totally fine. And, and yeah, and, and there's so much available. Yeah. I think there's lots of online I think there's lots of sort of online uh, retailers and places where you can buy from people secondhand. You know, it's obviously, obviously it's really nice if you can go to a charity shop, but sometimes, um, you know, you might not be able to... Obviously it's really nice if you can go to a charity shop, but there are all... Other ways of, of making sure your clothes are reused uh, even when it, you don't want to wear them anymore. Like De- Depop. Yeah, I've never been on it, my, but I do hear quite a lot about it. I think
0: it's, well, I was talking to my cousins who are 16 and they're obsessed with Depop and they <laughs> actually, yeah, they are on
1: it a lot basically and sell all their old stuff on there. Um, or well, why eBay. not? Why not? Yeah,
0: why not? Why
1: not? You know, you don't want it anymore, you get a bit of money back from it and somebody else gets to have it.
0: Okay, I'm feeling inspired. I'm feeling inspired by this. So if people are feeling anxious, they're feeling worried, they're feeling helpless, they want to do something to make a change, what are the kind of key takeaway things that people can be So I think
1: um, it's really important not to blame individual. Don't blame yourself for the system that you live in, for the way that the world works. It's not your fault. And climate change is not your individual fault. But that doesn't mean that you can't be part of the solution. Um, So understanding that... um, Getting involved, getting active, voting, putting pressure onto your local representative, putting pressure onto the companies that you buy from—all of these things can have a positive impacts. Uh, in terms of our individual choices, the biggest choices that we can make are uh, consuming less. Right? We all consume too much. I think we all throw away things that are half used or unopened, or you know, we throw away so much food. We throw away things that we just third of
0: all food, a third is, of all food goes in the bin.
1: It's absolutely insane right so consuming less is better for your pockets better for the environment reducing how much you need repairing what you have reusing repurposing things selling them on uh, recycling um, and then you can live a car-free life which I realize is very easy in a place like London where we are blessed with really good public transport um, and it's much more difficult in other parts of the country but if you can uh, living car-free reducing your car use avoiding airplane travel eating a plant-based diet or as far as you can get towards that um, and considering the number of children that you might have. I know it's not such a popular thing to think about, but it is a, it's a big decision in terms of your emissions. And then talking to people. I think it's so important. Arming yourself with information. There are so many issues that we've even touched on or not we haven't even covered today. Um, the things that you care about are the ones that you'll be able to talk most passionately about to other people. Um, finding out what other people care about raising the level of conversation raising the understanding amongst your family and friends um, and in your workplace all of these things can be really positive changes that you as an individual can make but get political
0: political and also what do you think of extinction rebellion
1: i i think they're absolutely fantastic i mean extinction rebellion have changed the national conversation on the environment um i think them and Greta Thunberg are the reason that I'm having so many conversations like this with people. Whereas well, a year ago, I really wasn't. People have started to care because they've got themselves onto the front covers of newspapers. And I know that not everybody agrees with all of their tactics. Um, and I think that when we look back in history about big social changes, there were, there was always um, room for disruptive action uh, and the non-violent. But what they want really is pretty simple. They want us to talk about the truth, about the climate and the ecological emergency, just like we're talking about today. They want the truth to be out there. They want people to know. They want people to understand what the system we are living in is doing to our planet and what the true consequences of it are for us as a species. Um, And so I think that is incredibly important. So, yeah, I think they're fantastic. I don't think you need to chain yourself up in order to make changes, but I think... You don't have to glue yourself to a bridge. You don't have to glue yourself to a bridge, but I think the (laughs) kinds of people that go out and do that, they change our conversation. Uh, Mm. They change what the newspapers are reporting. They change what parliamentarians are talking about. uh, And that is incredibly valuable.
0: So when they are blocking the roads on the week of the 7th of October, let's try and support them, basically. Yeah, give them money or share about what they're doing find absolutely. a way to, to support them
1: I also I heard uh, one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about them is I heard some uh, some somebody on Radio 4 some ex intelligence person call them a terrorist group which I think is I absolutely nuts I think mm. that they're a group that are trying to protect us from um, disastrous climate change and disastrous biodiversity the, the loss there's clues in the name extinction yeah, absolutely, and and you know the human race is not very good at dealing with, with slow burn problems. We're really good at dealing with, with issues that are right in front of us and we'll sort them out. And, and I believe in the ingenuity of the human race to, to solve problems. We've solved other big problems that we've faced in the past. So a group that is pushing what I believe to be an incredibly important issue um, to the forefront of the national conversation is uh, incredibly valuable. And I think, um, yeah, I'm really grateful for what they're doing.
0: Amazing. Thanks so much for talking to me.
1: Thanks, Chloe. I'm so I'm so happy that we got to have this conversation and me I think too. it's I think it's so brilliant that people like you are, are using your platform to talk about these issues.
0: Thanks so much for sharing your wisdom and I do feel a sense of hope talking to you and I do feel reassured that I shouldn't beat myself
1: up, but actually there is a lot I can do as well. You know, I think that's really important um, to feel a sense of hope because we can actually prevent dangerous climate change. It's within our grasp. And when you look at the um, the most recent IPCC reports, the Intergovernmental Panel Panel on Climate Change, which is the consensus of the world's climate scientists, they agree that we, we have the solutions, right? We know what we need to do. We have the technology. We know uh, we know what action we need to take. So we can we can prevent dangerous climate change. Just need to get our asses in gear. We do need to get our asses in gear. <laughs>
0: Basically, <laughs> okay. Oh. Amazing. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope that you gained a lot from this episode. Come on over to Instagram and let me know what are you taking from this episode. Find me at Chloe Brotheridge and I would love it if you would leave me a review in the podcast app or in iTunes subscribe to the podcast leave me a rating and is there someone in your life that would really benefit from this podcast you can let them know by sharing this podcast I'd be so so grateful so I'm just wishing you a wonderful week ahead sending you loads of love hopefully you'll tune in again and I'll see you soon hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince.